You're listening to a Radio 191 FM podcast. So how has 2022 been for the Dunedin Public Art Gallery? What with the ongoing COVID, the arrival of the flu, and uh, what else? <laughs> 2022 has been exciting for the gallery. Yes, there are challenges, and there will continue to be, I think. But I guess what we're all doing is working uh, hard to keep in focus why we do what we do uh, and who we do it for, which is making sure that the gallery is available to the community as a place to come and that that experience is uh, meaningful to them and that we are also working to support artists to make work because, you know, when the funding environment and the, you know, the world um, at large is challenging for us as a big institution, you know that it's challenging for um, people working on their own, particularly for artists working um, sometimes in isolation, but trying to um, make great work and kind of continue the important work of knowledge production in this sort of current context so yeah it's been it's been busy and exciting because you know you put those things back into focus and that keeps you on task I think so the work for us for the first part of 2022 has been very much focused on the season of exhibitions we've just opened and and actually that was a really kind of important point to us as a staff here looking at some of the new exhibitions and that they are new artists works and there've been opportunities to support artists and making major new work, reigniting our residency program, I think, as the year rolls on, reigniting our international program, which has been sort of on hold for a couple of years, and all of those things are a big focus. Yeah, cool. yeah. Now, uh, you, you were mentioning that a big part of, of working through 2022 is setting up this whole new wing of exhibits. Now, yes. there, are, there are six new exhibits, which are mostly <laughs> on the first floor. Yes. Uh, what role did you play in the installation of these exhibits, and how long have these kind of been in the works for? Oh, that's a good question. Um, so I'm a curator here at the gallery and so my role is to whether the exhibitions be historical or contemporary my role is to develop the approach to the exhibition work with the artist um, as they develop their work for the exhibition and then support that um, content to come to the gallery and sort of be installed my role in the practical installation of the exhibitions is um, is not so direct we've got a great team of technical specialists that do that work but my role in terms of exhibition making is is more at the content end of things so there's two curators that work here um, full time and then we also have our curatorial intern so I've worked on this season of shows with Sophie Davis who's another curator who works here Um, and then we have a curatorial intern each year that's with us for about 10 months of the year and they contribute to the building of exhibitions as well yeah so it has been a big season Uh, there are a lot of new shows the work involved has been quite different depending on what those exhibitions are we've also worked with an educational uh, sort of specialist education curator uh, Jen Boland who (coughs) worked with me on Beyond the Hedge this exhibition which is sort of targeted at a a younger audience Chris Ilatupu has been with us on residency over the summer so my work with him has been in supporting his time here uh, making sure he's got everything he needs to make that a really successful opportunity for him yeah so it's been uh, really lovely watching his exhibition sort of come from or evolve from processing the experience of living and working here into a work which is a really major work the full mm. um, which we're showing for the first time yeah now the full video video exhibit by, by Christopher Ulutupu is projected on like what four or so gigantic screens yeah well actually yeah. it's it's a bit of 
of an optical illusion. It's two, it's a two channel work, so there are two screens, but uh, they're double sided. Yeah. Yeah. So you um, can view it from both sides. And actually, the we were talking about it um, in the artist talk the other day. The experience of looking at it from each side is actually quite different, um, despite it being essentially the same image. Yeah. So Chris Chris work before is really fascinating. Like it's a a sort of very open ended sort of chaptered experience or rumination on post-capitalism right yeah, yeah, on, yeah on sort of what the you know the remains of of the empire or the remains of a capitalist society might look like you know how people might move through the world what they might be doing but it's sort of created in this slightly surreal and quite intimate and sort of tender way of capturing information that I think does leave a lot of room for people you know to sit there and kind of start to unravel you know what's going on here and it's beautiful mm. we were talking about it and saying you know like it's a, it's quite a confronting time in the world and there's all sorts of things going on that sort of make you start to question and sort of think through oh how do we process this moment what I think is really powerful about Chris's work is that you can sit there and kind of look at this thing and think oh well this is a way of processing what might happen you know or what might come next or what, what might be the results of you know certain chains of events and the outcomes of those things need not be totally dystopian no you know post-apocalyptic yeah um yes there are challenges but you know within those challenges there's intimacy and optimism and joy and beauty and song and karaoke and fencing you know all all the things you might want to find you know after the fall so you know i think he's done a really amazing job of making a work that's very personal to him and very connected to this time but is very expanded for the viewer to kind of you know insert themselves in and kind of start to unravel themselves. Yeah, it's quite an inspirational work. I so. think so, yeah. I think it's amazing. So it's it's a 30-minute experience from beginning to end, although I'm saying that you can sort of start and end wherever you wish. And, you know, for me, it's a sign of a very successful video installation when you see people that are committing to sitting there for, you know, 30 minutes yeah. and watching the, the whole work or getting this whole circular experience for themselves yeah yeah so it's been exciting seeing that come to fruition yeah it's awesome yeah Ruben Patterson's um golden tree yes. is quite the draw to the gallery and it goes well with the, the fairy tale theme of beyond the hedge yes. um what was sort of the impetus behind holding an exhibit which rebrands fairy tales uh as being for everyone and not just for kids oh fairy tales have always been for everyone <laughs> you know what is our world if it's not a series of stories that we put together and shape and reshape you know I I sort of um I must say I hadn't even thought about it like that. Or not traditionally, <laughs> not traditionally for kids. No, you know. but I know what you mean. Yeah, I yeah, know yeah. what you mean. So, yeah, we've been working on this section of the gallery for, I suppose, the last sort of 12 months or so to think about how we can use parts of the gallery slightly differently to kind of focus in on, on whānau visitors and exhibitions that sort of spark joy and imagination. But in saying that, as soon as you start making these kinds of exhibitions, you remember, I think, and are drawn back to the fact that all the artworks in the collection in some way or another are a kind of product of that sparking of joy and imagination for someone so they you know it, it gives you this like kind of latitude and permission I think to to use things you know to, to jump down the rabbit hole for want of a better word which sort of ties into the exhibition Kaupapa itself yeah so one of the um, entry points to Beyond the Hedge is Reuben Patterson's um, sculpture The Golden Bearing so The Golden Bearing is a um, sort of life-sized glittery golden tree uh, which acts I think as a bearing like a compass point or a sort of a mustering point within the gallery you know you can see it from most of the spaces or public spaces in the building
building. You know, he's talked about it in its inception as that sort of having that sort of activity or agency and that it sort of becomes a, a point on the compass or a place you orientate or you know object you orientate yourself from or to. The work was originally conceived of as an artwork that would and could um, be installed inside or outside. So many people have seen it um, in Pukekura Park and the Festival of Lights in, in Taranaki or in Pukiti, which is a garden um, up there. And someone came in and said, oh, you, I saw that at WOMAT. And, you know, so it's a work, I think, that's embedded itself into the public space. We were really excited to bring it in and particularly show it at this time of the year, you know, on a, you know, from a physical, environmental perspective. Uh, it, it's sort of this uplifting, sort of glowing, golden... Beacon almost. Beacon, yeah, yeah. or bearing, you know, as we're in the darkest part of our year. Yeah. And I was outside in the octagon in the weekend looking in and, you know, it's lit and it sort of echoes the trees that are outside, but has the sort of real joyful quality. And, and I think it is in combined with Jim McMurtry, the inflatable Michael Putty Kofi um, rabbit, which is reclining in the foyer. You know, I think they are works that are in and of themselves really important works in New Zealand contemporary sculpture, but they are really powerful works to kind of invite people in and kind of open it up and say, oh, you know, well, where does this take you? And so Jen, as she can sort of develop the exhibition narrative, it's playing on all sorts of modes of construction that do invite people to make creative choices or sort of place them at thresholds in decision making and that's where the fairy tale kind of construction really comes into play because fairy tales are sort of exercises in placing people on the threshold of big decisions and then seeing you know what comes from sort of taking one path or taking the next so she starts to talk I think and in, in when she writes about the exhibition about about things like thresholds or moments where you sort of step from the concrete world into um, into the enchanted world and sort of the strategy that play within those modes of telling stories that you know you, you maybe don't notice but start to repeat over time. Yeah, like sort of enchanted food or um, the power of three, which you know are things that when you start unraveling our histories of storytelling are quite frequent sort of motifs. Make, yeah, yeah, frequent motifs or make make regular occurrences. Yeah, so um, that's that's how the Golden Bearing came to come into the building. It was quite an exercise yeah. um, to bring bring um, the tree in. Public sculpture is an exercise in placemaking, you know, it's about transforming a location into a location that people orientate themselves to and from and want to be. And so, you know, what the hope is, and and it has already sort of been activated in that way, is that, you know, instead of walking through on the way to the next exhibition, you know, people stop and spend some time and think about, you know, stories and storytelling and, and you know, storytelling it has all these connections to things that are going on right now. We're running our Matariki programme in relation to that artwork because, you know, that sort of speaks to the Kaupapa of Puaka Matariki Festival in Ōtipoti, which is about taking time at this time of year to sit together and share stories and yeah mm. so yeah it's been uh, it's been a bit of a journey yeah no, this, this new series of exhibits uh, seems to have kind of more of a focus on maybe more abstract representation what with the over parks and the in on over um, yep. exhibits what is the emphasis or, or decision making behind presenting more abstract work the evolution of those exhibitions is that yeah, Oliver Perkins is a, a painter and we had invited him into the program uh, to make uh, a new body of work for this exhibition in, in response to to 
to the gallery uh, and it's um, or he took it where he wanted to take it with his work but we've been working on that show for a number of years now and I know he's been sort of you know his practice works in a sort of very experimental kind of like shifting shape-shifting way where he makes a series of sort of abstract decisions through a studio process of working and reworking you know literally pulling things apart and putting them back together and you know figuring out where finally they might land and what new information or new kind of knowledge or thinking um, arises out of that process of decision making through active, you know, sort of through activity. And what we started talking about, Sophie and I um, as curators here, was how we might think about our collection in relation to Oliver's practice and in relation to this way of working that looks very deeply at abstract concepts and and the activities and process of making material, abstract thinking. When you start to try and write that or to articulate that, it can get quite dense and kind of quite bound up in itself quite quickly. And what we were interested in doing with the exhibition that ultimately is in on over, which is an exhibition of works from our collection, is that we sort of were thinking, I suppose, about the process of abstraction um, as being something that is an active process and can be, you know, in some ways broken down into quite simple terms. Artists make decisions all the time about what sits with what, what sits on what, you know, and, and so we were talking with Ollie as well, Oliver Perkins, about his exhibition. And it struck us that there was a potential to kind of, instead of writing out the thinking for the exhibition that we could turn to the collection and see if we could bring together an exhibition of works that could sort of act as visual prompts um, to think about the process of abstracting something Mm. um, and therefore I suppose deliver people into Oliver's exhibition sort of primed up to be thinking about that process as an active and physical kind of process yeah so it's in part about demystifying abstraction because that can be something that we work to do and in some ways it makes it even more mystifying and that's also what we do because you know art is a slippery thing ideas are slippery things and the last thing you want is to lock them down so you know I think that exhibition in on over is really ironically it's not an exhibition filled with the gallery's most prominent examples of abstract what we've ended up with is actually a very broad a broad church of types of artworks um, not all of which are abstract at all but I think what they're designed to do is sort of take people into thinking about or drawing their attention to things that then will yield ways to look at other works they'll encounter on their journey through the gallery. And actually, whilst it was created, that exhibition was created in conversation with Oliver Perkins' exhibition, I think actually um, the concepts in it of, you know, abstracting something as a process of sort of identifying the, the parts and then separating them all out from one another and perhaps bringing them back together in a different way is something that you can see uh, across all the exhibitions. So you're right in sort of identifying that there is a sort of um, an impulse uh, to unravel abstraction uh, across the works that we see in the gallery. But what's interesting to me about that is actually those become mechanisms by which we can kind of think about artworks of all types. So it's been really good fun, that exhibition. So I've sort of been thinking about it as a, a sort of a visual label if you look at this and then look at this other thing next to it and find the commonalities or the points of sort of divergence 
immediately you start thinking about, oh, okay, well, um, why are we looking at the frames or why are we looking at the margins or why are we looking at the meeting points or why is that sitting on top of that? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we've sort of intentionally approached that exhibition in quite a kind of pragmatic way. It's been a really amazing opportunity across the whole galleries, actually, to bring together some works that haven't been shown since we've brought them into the collection. So, um, yeah, there's a new work by Imogen Taylor that's on display here for the first time. Jim McMurtry, The Rabbit Downstairs and Beyond the Hedge, that's its first showing here. One of the things that's happened, I suppose, over the last two years is that with the changes and sort of nature of the programme and the different sort of pace of things with COVID and, you know, schedule shifting is that there's been a lot of activity behind the scenes. The collection continues to develop, but, you know, there's things that are ready to make their debut. So, yeah, that's exciting. Very exciting. Yeah. Very exciting. Lastly, I just want to touch on the the On the Table exhibit, which kind of recontextualises works from the Jim and Mary Barr art collection. Now, as a curator who's spent a lot of time around art and art collections, how do you relate to On the Table's themes around the relationship of the artist's agency between public and private context? Oh, that's a good question. (laughs) Yeah, so um, On the Table was curated by Sophie, um, our other curator here, and so I'm sort of speaking uh, in her shoes a little bit here. So the Jim Barr and Mary Barr Contemporary Art Collection is a long-term loan collection that sits with us here at the gallery. Just recently we were um, given custodianship of another part of that collection and so that was part of the the, um, impetus I suppose to begin the process of uh, looking at that collection, what what it looked like and ultimately led to the exhibition. Sophie's strategy with, with that exhibition was to delve right into what you're talking about is to sort of turn the tables I suppose and put the artists into the driving seat of how that collection might be thought about or rearranged or brought together mm-hmm. in a way that was meaningful to them. So all of the artists that she's engaged with um, in the creation of that exhibition are artists whose works are held in that collection. So, you know, there are a lot of kind of complex sort of things that happen with an art collection from artists' point of views, from families' point of views, from institutional point of views, because artwork sort of comes in and becomes part of something else, becomes part of this bigger force. Yeah. And, and sometimes, I think, you can get a bit of distance suddenly between between yourself and your sort of personal relationship or story or, or role as the producer or, or maker or creator of that of that thing and where it sort of how it operates in the world after it leaves your studio or your home and that you know that's kind of an interesting space to interrogate and I guess this is what that exhibition does to some extent is sort of goes well what can this how can this collection operate now that it's you know been released from a private collection it's been placed into the public domain and then we've asked these artists to come back in and um, respond and what you see in the exhibition is a really interesting experience because it's got you know distinct parts that are the products of each of those artists' responses to the artworks that they've had to look at and in some cases their relationship over time with the collectors, some of which some some of the artists involved know those collectors very well, some of the artists involved have come into that collection much more recently and don't have such a sort of long standing experience together with, with that collection. So yeah, it's a fascinating exhibition and it's quite sort of playful and um, activated which I think is um, is an interesting thing when you invite artists and in, particularly artists who have their own art practices that are about you know perhaps how you might navigate space and how you might think about collections 
you know, you get this very dynamic experience that really sort of pushes against um, the subdued kind of quiet work on white walls gallery environment. Yeah, so I think as you enter the exhibition and you sort of enter into that space where Ruth Buchanan's curtain is hanging, that beautiful silk curtain, you know, immediately that, that sort of sculptural gesture changes how you experience the space and how you start to think about the works that are gathered around it. It's been a fascinating exhibition to see come together and it's been quite a rewarding exhibition to watch um, the public come to yeah because it's full of sort of discoveries it's there's an awful lot of work packed into that into that gallery many of which are works that haven't been on display here it's been very rich I would say something totally new yeah Yeah. totally new and you know that collection is a really important collection to us represents a huge number of contemporary artists and we really appreciate I think the relationship and the willingness to kind of place a public a private collection into the public realm for benefit of the public got a real generosity to it and it sort of shores up the things that get us going and kind of make us um, you know that we come back to which is you know that um, this world of art whether it be historical art whether it be contemporary art is one that is transformative it does kind of set people free when they come and sort of take time and think about it and and that's okay you know like I brought one of my kids in yesterday and they said to me oh you know, Mum, sometimes art just doesn't make any sense, does it? <laughs> I said, yeah. No. It's not what we're supposed to. It doesn't, and that's yeah. okay. You know, sometimes that's that's all right, you know, to come in and not be quite sure how you're supposed to re- respond or what you're supposed to be getting from something because actually sometimes that process of sort of negotiating what you're seeing and why is the kind of freeing experience that you, you know, you hope you might get that, you know, that is missing from other encounters as we move through the world and everything sort of appears to be concrete. So I'm, I'm all for it. I'm all for not knowing what I'm looking at and wondering why and where the sense lies. I think that's, I think that's part of the magic of what we do. I'm really struck by how energised the space is feeling. You know, the exhibitions are very different to one another and they're not sort of attempting to, you know, all slot together, but actually there's all this energy and kind of dynamism going on across the rooms and across the spaces, which is really exciting, you know, because we're a place in which many, many artworks sort of cohabit within and that's a cacophony, you know, that's a that's what it should all be. It yeah. should be loud and boisterous and uplifting and then have these, you know, ironically I think this gallery we're standing in, you know, for the interview is the, you know, is the family gallery. And of all the galleries, it's the quietest and yeah. the most subdued and the most kind of like cocoon-like. Yeah. You know, so it's sort of about turning expectations over and, you know, creating experiences that really give people, you know, energy and respite, things to think about, you know, challenge their perceptions of, you know, where the boundaries might be. Ask those questions that Chris is asking, you know, what happens next? That's what, that's what we do. <laughs> you do a great job of it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for your time, Lucy. You're very welcome. It was great speaking with you. That was a Radio 191 FM podcast. You can find more of them at r1.co.nz forward slash podcast.